You're listening to Pink Floyd Podcast, where psychology is always a rockin' topic of discussion. We aim to improve the overall mental health of families and individuals listening by increasing your understanding of mental health issues and their link with toxic family environments, namely narcissistic family dysfunction. Hi, I'm your host, licensed professional counselor Whitney Sheath. Let's get analyzing. You're listening to Rockin' with Psychology with Pink Freud. I'm your host, Whitney Sheaf Leishman, licensed professional counselor and trauma therapist. I'm so excited to talk about today's issue because only survivors of narcissistic abuse can truly understand the immense pain and grief and loss that results from narcissistic abuse. Being raised by a narcissistic person or someone with narcissistic personality disorder is incredibly confusing. Most often, people are adults before they can even understand and begin to recognize that perhaps their parents may have suffered from this issue of narcissism. Most often, we see that our family system was dysfunctional and caused by their behavior once we become adults because of the complexity of this issue. Parents who lack empathy, emotional availability, and are unable to give support and emotional connection with their children are often invalidating and abusive or neglectful, really leaves lasting wounds in their children that truly aren't understood very well by the common public. Yet, I think the term narcissism gets thrown around very often, especially in mainstream media in like the past, I would say, five years. And I just feel that there's a huge misunderstanding of really clinically, what is narcissism? How does it affect families? And then later on, I will have other episodes and series that aren't focused on just families, but what? how does narcissism affect us in the workplace? What does that look like? How does it affect us, you know, with our friends, with our romantic relationships? These types of people wreak havoc in almost every sector of their lives. And so I'd like to discuss really what is narcissism? You know, clinically we use the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, and it's put out by the American Psychiatric Association in 2013. And it basically outlined the nine significant symptoms that can be used to diagnose someone with narcissistic personality disorder. They would have to really, to meet the criteria, have to have five of the nine symptoms. Now here's the thing, a lot of times people who are narcissistic, they don't have, in fact, by definition, they do not have narcissistic personality disorder per se. They just have a few of these traits, but in very high degrees and it causes them a lot of issues in different areas of functioning. And so that can also be used as a diagnostic criteria or just um, to, you know, narcissism isn't a diagnosis, narcissistic personality disorder is. However, I do feel that some persons have a degree of a few of these traits such to that it causes dysfunction in every area of their life. So to me, that would call for a narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis as well. 
That being said, people who are just narcissistic, they may have four out of the five traits, or they may have a few traits, but they're very, very strong in those traits. They present very strong in that person, in that personality. I would say that that could be a narcissistic person. So I just want to outline the difference between the two. Let's go over the, the nine criteria now that we understand the difference. Um, you know, the first criteria is that they have a grandiose logic of self-importance. So they believe that they are above others and only their need to control is seen by them. Others' needs, others' emotions are not in the narcissistic mind. So in the family system, the narcissist is the sun around which all the other people who are the planets revolve. And that's how things need to stay. We need to stick to the law of gravity, which is the law that the narcissist outlines. You can imagine how that affects a family system. The second criteria is a fixation on fantasies of infinite success, beauty, control, brilliance, power, and idyllic love. So we can imagine how if you have such superficial basis of worth, that if you are a child who doesn't meet up to those expectations, let's say that they are really, really focused on looks. And let's say that you don't meet up to their criteria of how they think a beautiful person is. They will ignore you or treat you poorly and perhaps scapegoat you and use you as a basically a, something that they can control and manipulate and use and put all of their blame onto for their behavior. So that's another thing that often happens. Um, the third criteria is a credence that they are extraordinary and exceptional and can only be understood or should only connect with or associate with other extraordinary high status or important people or institutions. So because of this, they will often have more than one face. In fact, they always, narcissists always have more than one face. There are at least two or three face, if not four or five, um, because they can't show their true selves to these individuals, these people who they see as high status, their boss, perhaps, or it may be someone that they look up to, perhaps, but they will basically give them the honeymoon treatment and hide their real selves from that person. So that makes them very two-faced and difficult to kind of pin down. Another telltale trait of narcissism is a desire and a feeling that you deserve attention and that you are the one who should be given unwarranted admiration. And so I would call this narcissistic supply. In narcissists, the ego is greatly inflated. And we can get to that in another time as to why that is. However, the ego is the opposite of self-esteem. A lot of people don't understand that ego is the false self-esteem. It's other esteem. It doesn't come from yourself. It comes from others and what you think others see in you. And so it's really the us that we present to the world, I would say. So it's the opposite of self-esteem. And therefore, narcissists have the inability to tolerate different worldviews than their own because it calls into question, I might be wrong, which would harm their ego. So they feel that they should be the ones who drive the buggy all the time. 
They should be the ones in charge and they should be the ones given all the admiration of being the expert, of being the one who knows everything. They are the best. And if you disagree with that or if you question that, God help you. So that's another trait. Let's get into our fifth trait, which would be a sense of entitlement. So they, they expect unreasonable things from others. Here's an example for children. They may expect, let's say, all A's or for you to be like the star quarterback or for you to play the instrument that they played in high school, for you to be like them. So that's an unreasonable expectation. And if you don't comply with this without question, that's an issue as well. So to me, that's a big sense of entitlement. You think that you get to drive other people's lives. And if they question that, God help them. So when I say that, God God help them, we talk about number six, which is the interpersonally oppressive behavior, exploitive behavior, manipulation to achieve their own means at the expense of others. They will gladly and happily throw people under the bus to avoid responsibility for their behavior. Blaming and projecting their self and their behaviors onto others to excuse their own behavior or to minimize it, to avoid it, is really the MO of the narcissist. I am not the reason that I am yelling at you and I hate you. You made me mad and you didn't clean up your dinner plate. So I had to hit you. That's your fault. That's the way that a narcissist would think towards their child, really towards anybody else. So unreasonable expectations and really very, very manipulative and interpersonally oppressive in order to get their expectations, to get that control, to keep that control as well, especially in a family system. They have no form of empathy, which is number seven. They do not have the willingness or the ability to empathize with the feelings and needs of others. So you can imagine, if you are not willing to see the feelings or needs of your own child, that leaves the child wanting unconditional love and support, which is required for anybody to really grow up and to have a healthy, productive upbringing. Uh, You know, we need to feel love for who we are. But because of the way the narcissism works, they do not accept others' feelings or needs. They only think about their own. And so human beings become human doings. You become an object to them. It's what you do that matters, not who you are. You can imagine the immense damage this would have on personality formation of children growing up under this oppressive regime of a narcissistic parent. It's incredibly damaging to who they are, how they see themselves, their self-esteem, and their ability to become autonomous. The eighth diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality disorder would be resentment of others or a conviction that others are resentful of you. So really that believes, they basically think that people envy them or they envy other people. Um, As I said earlier, it's really resentment. Envy of others, I don't think that they see it as envy because that would be 
something that would harm their ego, right? Oh, I they have something that I want that that I really don't have and they're above me. That would really hurt someone's ego. So they see this feeling of envy as disdain or resentment for someone getting undeserved rewards or accolades that the narcissist themselves were deserving of and should have gotten. There comes in that sense of entitlement again. Or I think that when they're, you know, feeling that others are envious of them, that may be that grandiosity. It could also be a way, I think, for them to also to shield that ego from being harmed. Because if their negative behavior leads to, which it eventually always does, rejection from others or negative attention from people, they will justify this feeling of being chastised by others by saying, oh, they're just jealous of me. They're just trying to bring me down. They're just being haters. It's not really my behavior that caused this. It's their problem with all the awesomeness that I have, and they just want to be like me. So you can imagine where that would really cause a lack of insight for someone with narcissism. The ninth and final diagnostic criteria, according to the DSM-5, would be a display of egotistical and conceited behaviors or attitudes. This is haughty, arrogant behaviors and attitudes towards others. And they present often as bullying, invalidation, denial. And if anyone challenges their view, they will target you for this type of treatment. You can imagine how a child growing up under this arrogant or haughty attitude of a parent would really feel oppressed unable to express their opinions if they do differ from the parents or really if you're the scapegoat in the family, which we will discuss next time. We're going to discuss um, the different arrangements and roles in narcissistic family dysfunction. But if you're the scapegoat, which is the one who takes all the blame, you will be constantly bullied and invalidated. They will deny that they do it or they will blame you for being the person who takes all the wrath of their treatment and they'll justify it somehow. So how does this look in a family system? First of all, like I said, narcissists invalidate their children often. That's ridiculous is what they'll often say. You know, I I don't know why you'd feel that way. Um, You know, that's an issue. Children should come first in a family But in the narcissistic family, children don't come first. The narcissist's needs and feelings come first. And really, they don't consider the children's needs. So their feelings are ignored while the parent ends up meeting their own needs. They don't think past their own wants and need for control. So the child is really looked at as a figure or really an object to be controlled. And so they do that through ignoring, shaming, lying about them, making them look crazy sometimes, or shaming them to others without regard for how this will impact the child to scare them into control. If you don't do what I want, then I will invalidate you. I will basically make you mocked and bullied, and I will push you into fear, and fear is used to control. So that's another way that children grow up in family systems with a narcissist is under fear. Um, 
if you are, like I said, the scapegoat in the family, and sometimes this role shifts from one child to another depending on who's pleasing the narcissist, but sometimes it stays stagnant and it is stable and it's the same person, um, the narcissist can project their own behavior and blame that child for their dysfunction and for the issues that come out of that. So it's not the narcissist's fault that things went awry, it's the child's. So another way that narcissists will actually hurt their children is they see them as an extension of themselves. So they look at them like as an accessory or an object. You wouldn't really feel bad if you hurt a couch's feelings by calling it fat, would you? So let's say a narcissist wants their daughter to stay a certain size. They won't think twice about in indicating to the daughter, oh, maybe you need to go on a diet or um, things such as that nature because you are not the size you need to be for me. That's really the message that sends the child, whether it's intended or not, that's the message that they receive. So, you know, another thing that's a really big issue is character assassination. You know, they will often belittle people to others, like I've said, um, discredit their character so they will get that person to defend themselves and then they can deflect from issues um, or they'll just try to make people look crazy so that way if that person does try to whistleblow and say hey there's a problem in my family the narcissist will say no I've actually know that you're just not stable you're not sane and you're really the one with the problem and they may have been doing this behind your back to other family members and their friends or your your family friends for years and you don't even know it but they have been behind your back character assassinating you and trying to downplay maybe the accolades that you do have minimizing your positives maximizing the mistakes you made to minimize their mistakes and to maximize their positives so just in case you whistleblow they will be able to say no that person's crazy i told you so and here's the proof so that's an, that's a really big issue with narcissistic abuse um, especially as adults this can cause some really serious professional and personal harm to the abuse victim so uh, abuse in many ways is seen obviously in, in any household with a narcissist, sexual, psychological, physical, any type of abuse is on the table. It's not always going to be outright abuse. It's most often seen as harmful in obviously, you know, sexual and physical abuse is the very obvious, but the ones that are missed is the emotional and the psychological elements. I know I mentioned that last time, you know, emotional abuse or neglect is really a problem it does affect how our brains form and how our personalities are formed so often narcissists will shut down communication to create you know uncomfortable silences to confuse to avoid because they don't even feel comfortable with their own feelings how can they deal with a child's feelings so they will not address conflict ever and if they do, it's to blame. It's never to take responsibility or be constructive in the way that they address and communicate about conflict in the family. So oftentimes the adult child 
from a narcissistic dysfunctional family doesn't know how to constructively manage conflict. And they don't know how to regulate their emotions or their moods because they've never been taught either of those things. How could they? You know, a really sad side effect of a narcissistic family system is that even if initially both parents are not narcissistic, but there's one who is, eventually both parents will end up as narcissists because of the influence of the narcissistic parent on the other to become basically what I call an enabler or a codependent. Um, so the, while that parent may not be outright malignantly abusive, they will be passive and they let the narcissist abuse or use their children emotionally, physically, mentally, verbally, whatever way they want without intervening. They let the narcissist run amok and have full control. And this is neglectful. You have a responsibility to protect your children, even if it's against your partner, especially if it's from a narcissistic partner. Um, oftentimes these partners will cheat on the spouse or use those types of tactics that, that similarly to what they use in the, the system with their, their children to threaten, if you do this, well, I'll just go do that. I'll replace you. I'll go and cheat to keep them in line, to keep control. This is really, really a dictatorship. So, you know, obviously lying and gaslighting children to believe the narcissistic parent's reality, which is quite easy for children. They're just learning how to see the world. So if a narcissistic parent really wants to, they can easily distort the truth for the child. And this results in a lot of different damaging issues for adults. You know, um, oftentimes they will either become narcissists themselves or they will become much like their enabling parent and end up with narcissists as partners because that's what feels comfortable for them. So, you know, another thing that narcissists will do to threaten people and to keep them in line or to avoid responsibility if somebody in the family is upset about something they've done is they will stonewall you or ignore you. Like I said, they like communication shutdowns. So this will create an uncomfortable silence. So that way you'll drop the issue. They, they give you the silent treatment. They'll avoid your calls or they'll tell you that they'll call you back and then they'll shoot you a text saying sorry or they might not even shoot you a text at all. But you often get their voicemail. They avoid and they don't return calls. They deflect. If they do get you on the phone, they will often try to steer the conversation um, using gaslighting, mocking, sarcasm. Oh, you're so sensitive about that. Uh, you know, those things are really big in the narcissistic arsenal of deflection tools. So if somebody doesn't fall in line in the family and the guilting, the manipulation of the children doesn't control them, a lot of times the parent will attempt to abandon them and shut them out using this stonewalling technique. Um, and they will also get other family members to go along with it in a family mobbing experience, which is really great and fun. I hope that you notice the sarcasm in that uh, because they will tell other people, like I said, they will use character assassination behind someone's back to make them look crazy, to make them look like it's their fault to basically just dismiss them and to get people to believe the narcissist's view of things 
which they're really skilled at doing. So let's look at how we can handle this if this is something that you can identify with in your family. I just want to give a brief overview of a few things that I gathered as far as, um, you know, from my own treatment of people who have suffered narcissistic abuse and also just from other professionals that I'm aware of that work with narcissism and narcissistic abuse. Um, the first thing I would say is do not apologize for being yourself and be who you are. Don't apologize for your feelings either because feelings are okay. And if you're called hypersensitive, that's not about you. That's about them. Who are they to determine that your feelings are right or wrong? Feelings can't be right or wrong. So that's about them, not you. The second thing is don't respond to their antagonism with anger, explaining yourself or trying to defend yourself. That just engages them in opportunities to gaslight you, to character assassinate, and basically just put you down. So I really don't encourage engaging with them. You need to decide level of distance that would be safe. So establishing healthy boundaries with them is really, really important. Um, you know, Dr. Romani, she's somebody that I really look up to, Dr. Romani Devasala, and she talks on, on YouTube about, you know, basically being close to a narcissist is like breathing in secondhand smoke. Eventually, it's going to make you unhealthy and it's always unhealthy to be around it. So we need to decide what level of distance is safe for our smoker, so to speak. There's several different tactics you can use to keep safe distance. You can go gray rock, for instance, you keep superficial. I'm not going to talk about my personal life because we don't want to give them fuel for the fire to go into anything to character assassinate you with. Um, they may often re respond to this in kind by saying, oh, you're being so cold or by getting their their enablers, their flying monkeys to come around and saying, why are you being so distant? Um, that is a boundary and don't let them push your boundary on that. I call boundaries non-negotiables for reasons. I don't negotiate on them. You may decide to go no contact. That's something that a lot of people, unfortunately, who are adult survivors of narcissistic family systems have to decide to do to keep themselves healthy and to keep their own families now that they have their own families safe from the secondhand smoke. I don't know about you, but I don't want my child around a smoker. So I keep my child away from the smoker in my family. Yeah, another thing that you can do is set time, places, and, and always have an exit strategy when you plan to get together with them. So I'm only going to come for a few hours to dad's birthday party. I am not going to stay the night. And I think that it would be best. Why don't we have it at a restaurant? Those are things, you know, if they tend to behave better in public, you may want to avoid being at home with them. You might want to set time limits and always have an exit strategy. Take your own car. That's a number one thing. I'm sorry if I ever, ever go on any type of visit to any family member, I always have my own car because if I need to leave, I leave. And that's okay too. So non-negotiables, you don't negotiate. You, you can always walk away. Another thing that I would really encourage you to do is take a, what I call my clipboard strategy to decrease your reactivity to the narcissist. So 
I will basically look at them as if I'm behind my clipboard of therapy or really I even look at them almost like I'm a doctor or a nurse and I'm just looking at them for the symptoms. Oh, I see you're trying to antagonize me. Check. Okay. Mm -hmm. Check. So I'm looking at them and I'm seeing what they're doing, but I'm not taking it personally. I'm removing that personal part of it. And I think that that's a really, really good way to not give them permission to drive the wheel of your own car. I'm sorry, I don't like people driving my car. I only like to drive it. So another thing I would say is don't give them the ability to encourage you to adopt a polarized or a black and white style of thinking, which is what they often do. You're either good or bad. And that will cause self-esteem issues in adults, children of family narcissists. Um, You know, the problem is that either my parents accept me because I'm perfect or if I mess up I'm horrible and nobody accepts me and it's not even about parent acceptance or other acceptance at that point it's about self-acceptance the problem is that children who are gaslighted for long enough start to gaslight themselves and so I'm either good enough or not good enough and the only way I can be good enough is if I'm perfect which is unreasonable because perfect doesn't exist. So you always end up feeling like a failure. That's really a dark hole of self-esteem problem that that really children from narcissistic families need to address. And I recommend therapy for that, definitely. Um, You know, don't let them set your level of expectation of yourself or your self-esteem. It's called self-esteem, not other esteem. Another thing I would say is don't look back so much and ruminate too much on these things that you do realize happened to you in the past. It's kind of like driving your car looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to crash. You can't really do that. You can't also over anticipate what they're going to do. That's like driving a car with binoculars on. You can imagine how great that would go too. So you living in the moment in the here and the now and being mindful of I'm going to control my reaction. I'm not going to let them control me. And I'm going to stick with my boundaries. And we teach people how to treat us. And eventually, if they're not getting narcissistic supply from you, they will go elsewhere to find it. And that's probably best for you. The less you're around a smoker, the less secondhand smoke you breathe in, right? Thank you, Dr. Romani, for that um, analogy, by the way. It's fantastic. Another thing I would say is if they want to say, oh, well, you're just strange, you're an other, you're not, you know, you don't belong with us. You might say, good, I'm glad I don't belong and own that otherness. Yeah, I I do think differently than you, don't I? Isn't that kind of cool? And just kind of go along with their lack of comfortability with indifference. Because really, that's another thing. They don't like people who have, like I said, different opinions than them. So just say, yeah, I do believe differently than you, don't I? And we can agree to disagree and leave it at that. You do not have to play chess or mind games or mental maneuver or gymnastics if you don't want to. So just don't engage in that game. It's a game nobody wins. So I hope that this was helpful today, just discussing the different ways that narcissistic persons or narcissistic personality disordered individuals in family systems can disrupt them and really, especially as parents, harm them and cause a lot of of deep-seated 
self-esteem problems, deep-rooted questioning um, of inadequacy and feelings of just, I don't know who I am. I hope this helped people who have grown up in families with narcissists as parents to identify that you're not alone in this, to perhaps maybe open your eyes to the problems that you are maybe facing as an adult. Why do I not like myself when there's really no reasons for me to think these things, but I still do? You might now have the answer of why. And I really hope that it wasn't too hard hitting. This can be very difficult and it's a grief process to accept that your parent is like this. And a final note that I will give is do not ever expect them to change because they won't. You cannot change their mind. So do not try to argue with them, explain yourself, defend yourself. That is fruitless and you can try and try and try. And I hate to say that, but don't say I told you so if you don't give up the trying. It took many years for me to give up the ghost in my relationship with my narcissistic parents that led me to say, you know what, I can't get you to see anything but what you want to see. I hope my sharing of my own personal experience and of others as well, I, I took basically some examples from my clients and from others that I've talked with in this podcast as examples for these symptoms and I hope that that was helpful to give you at least someone to empathize with and to know that you are not alone in this. It is a journey from moving on from realizing I grew up in a narcissistic family system. I need to accept and grieve that I didn't get the parent that I wanted and then we have to start being our own parent and realize that we have the ability to be individuals and autonomous from our family of origin. If it was dysfunctional and continues to be, which it often does, narcissists don't change their spots, unfortunately. And I really hope that you are able to move forward and realize that you don't need to hold on to the anger. That's theirs. Lead that to them. Happiness is the best thing you can do for yourself and the best way that you can really help move forward. So don't look in that rearview mirror. Don't drive with binoculars on either. Look at the road right ahead. And I really hope that you can drive yourself down a more positive pathway. Thank you so much for listening today. I would like to give a shout out to Dr. Romani Devasala, Med Circle, and Dr. Les Carter with Surviving Narcissism channel on YouTube. Um, those are three different individuals who I have and channels who I've really gained a lot of information from and help, um, especially Dr. Carter. He has been a real big inspiration for me. So please check out his channel. It goes deeper into these issues. Um, it's Surviving Narcissism on YouTube. Um, you can also find Dr. Romani Devasala on YouTube and Med Circle as well. It's they both have channels on there so feel free to um to look underneath in the description box and i should have links set up for those channels so you can find them and if you'd like more information about me you can find me at www.positivepathway.org and i would be interested in anybody sending me any messages as well please subscribe and i look forward to talking with you next week we'll be addressing like i said narcissistic family systems and the roles played by the individuals in those families. So please join me next week 
where psychology is always rocking on Pink Freud. And I hope that you have a wonderful and mentally healthy week.